Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio with the Dr. Michael, Reverend Dr. Michael Berg, keeping our six to ten feet apart across opposite sides of the podcast studio, continuing our recordings today uh, for Philosophy 201 Ethics at Wisconsin Lutheran College. Our discussion is based upon the book Bioethics, a Primer for Christians by Gilbert Mylander. And we are discussing now in this podcast session of our COVID online learning series, Chapter 5, Prenatal Screening. And then we will get into, and this is where most of our time will be spent, Chapter 6, Suicide and Euthanasia. Um, Prenatal Screening, Chapter 5, a lot of similar ideas that had come out of the earlier chapters that Mylander had set up, reproduction uh, versus uh, procreation, uh, genetic advance, um, and uh, uh, stuff like that. So with prenatal screening, uh, we'll just briefly hit on this. Um, I think one of the, the sentences he has that lays it out well is, um, and it is not, of course, treatment of a disorder. It is simply elimination of the one who is afflicted with the disorder, that is to say, uh, that uh, to that one we do not say, it is good that you exist. And he's saying this to describe one of the problems with aspects of prenatal screening. But let me just read that again, and it'll get at the key point. And it is not, of course, treatment of a disorder. It is simply elimination of the one who is afflicted with a disorder. To that one we do not say, it is good that you exist. So this is when prenatal screening be- can become problematic in Christian eyes. Prenatal screening can be extremely helpful if it's going to help children or help parents um, prepare for something, for how they might best care for a child um, or treat a child, stuff like that. But when it ceases uh, or when it crosses the line to elimination of that child uh, or to saying it, it is not good that you exist, it becomes problematic. The place for the Christian is to say to all that God has created, it is good that you exist. And we've seen um, both the good and the bad sides of prenatal screening in our uh, our own day. Um, and so that's going to be the, the key point that uh, that Mylander is going to, to bring out in this chapter. Uh, I will just read one other quick section from page 55. He says, Traditionally, of course, parents conceiving a child did not think of themselves as producing a product. If the child turned out to be less than perfect, the parents could turn to God, whether in submission to his providence or in Job-like anger. In either case, they were only co-creators with God, not simply creators with ultimate responsibility for the fate of the the child. And there, I think, is the, is the fine line that needs to be walked that we recognize that every child is a gift from God, that we are co-creators with God, but we are not God, and the child is not merely a product that we stand over. And so prenatal screening can be helpful if it's going to help the parents use the time of pregnancy um, to prepare to learn how to love the child as best as possible with whatever challenges that might exist. Um, But it never ought to reach the point where it comes to to say uh, no longer, uh, it is good that you exist, right? We always want to affirm the value of that life. <clears throat> that takes us next to chapter six, uh, which will be the main thing we'll be discussing. Will be suicide <clears throat> and euthanasia. 
And I would say uh, probably, Mike, outside of uh, abortion, one of the hardest uh, sections to have and to discuss in the church because it, again, hits on um, a lot of my independence and individuality, um, suffering, uh, human value, autonomy. Um, if you think of a suicide and euthanasia, maybe just in our own lifetime, Mike, um, what shifts or patterns have you seen societally? We were, now you were in high school in Michigan, same as I was when Kervorkian was big, for instance, right? Yeah. Uh, when that all, and then Jeffrey Figer, who later ran for governor, was defending him. Um, it, uh, <clears throat> you know, these were debates that were very different at that time than they are now. But just in general, what have you seen as far as how people talk about it, how the debate is politically is held, how individuals or, or even Christians view these things now? Yeah, I... I don't know if I've seen a huge shift within the church so much. I, I sh I'm sure there is, but just in my little own world, not not so much. Um, and and I'm I'm not so as pessimistic as maybe other people that um, seem that we in seeing that we've gone down a slippery slope that we're never going to get back to. I mean, I suppose there's there's certain situations right where once it becomes assisted suicide becomes legal in certain places you can't unring that bell it's or it's very difficult to to bring those things back um i think there's a bigger philosophical shift and we've mentioned this before that we're more acutely aware of suffering right now and so that's uh i think i would like to think that christians have become a little bit more compassionate to to the other side and say and say you're a murderer to really understand some of the very complicated issues about end to end of life issues or end of life situations and, and taking a more compassionate approach. Um, <clears throat> I, I do think also that there are lots of predictable bad things that have come from, for lack of a better term, a culture of death that there may be a correction on. So I'm actually kind of optimistic about this kind of stuff. I mean, we still you fairly universally believe that suicide's bad right? right like whether it's should be legal or not to assist well, somebody in suicide at least sad and 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 the growing i think understanding that you're leaving people behind and you've wronged those people that have le been left behind i i i wonder if i i've Probably seen bad for toothache huh, Mike? yeah i i think that and a lot of this maybe have to do with media uh, and I don't mean the news media, I mean kind of the cultural media that we have. We get freaked out about this certain whatever that seems to glorify suicide or whatever, when actually it probably highlights the sadness of it all, right? And suicide prevention and all of these kinds of things. And so I do think that there is a correction on a lot of these things. I think it was the previous uh, lecture for this series we talked about how I thought actually there may be a correction for abortion a little bit that it, there seemed to be a little bit like, okay, this is, this is not great. Let's make this very minimal. And, and, and that turned out to be wrong. I do think with suicide and end of life issues um, that there has been a little bit of correction, or at least I'm hopeful of that. And, and we have, we mentioned before the pandemic, all of a sudden we are very much, we are, we are willing to risk the future 
our future economic, um, well, already have risked our economic gains of the last uh, four or five years for the sake of people in their 80s, for people in their nursing homes. That's yeah. right. I mean, that says something that uh, I don't know that in the past, I think it would have been a lot easier to say, listen, there's going to be a thinning of a herd and that's, that's actually a good thing yeah. financially. Uh, I, but when the chips were down, that's not where we went. So I, I'm actually at least not yet, at least not yet, or at least the people who are thinking that have the good sense not to say it out loud. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe as we, the first thing we can take as we talk about suicide, especially, and the the word suicide right comes from the Latin to murder oneself. Um, the German Selbstmord is going to be similar. In English, it's just a word we borrow. It's what maybe lacks the same power it, it had in the in the past. Maybe if we could start off first, Mike, um, since we're talking to a Christian audience, or Mylander is as well, is how the church hasn't always helped our understanding yeah. of suicide. Um, I do think, you know, you said something in the last podcast session, which is true as well. It's good to have certain societal, you don't want to approve of things societally mm -hmm. for the, the good of the people that are tempted to those things. Yet at the same time, there can sometimes be unfortunate repercussions mm -hmm. of that too. And so what you talked about, you don't want to encourage sex outside of marriage, but we can have the, the, the opposite bad consequence of we say we're pro-life, but then someone is scared to have the child because of, of shame. Uh, the, here I want to be, I want to avoid anachronism and be fair. We understand a lot more, infinitely more about the human mind now mm -hmm. in a scientific way than the ancients or people in the Middle Ages or even 100 years ago knew. Um, and so that has to be kept in mind. Um, but maybe, Mike, I'll throw to you first. Anything in how, as Christians, we've dealt with suicide or the church has talked about it or treated it that maybe we can offer correctives for in our own day. I think one of the more poignant scenes in that Luther movie that came out, um, what, a decade ago now, but the the new Luther movie, not the black and white, is the boy commits suicide. And now this is an apocryphal tale, but it's based on something Luther said. Sometimes a suicide is like a man overtaken on a road by robbers. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, uh, and he, he insists on the child being buried in church mm -hmm. ground. And I had members who had questions about that. Mm -hmm. But I think you know what I'm asking. Oh, so I'm absolutely. just going to throw it to you and let you yeah. go where you want to go. Still today. I mean, still in our ministries, we would have, I'm sure you had person come up and they were just as sure as about any doctrine as, as, as they had ever been taught that if you commit suicide, you're going straight to hell. Right. And the idea there was, um, and I think this actually kind of was more a Roman Catholic thing than it was other, other denominations, but it was very strong in Lutheranism for sure. And, and the way the Lutherans explained it is, if you commit suicide, clearly you don't have any faith. <laughs> right? And this can be an unfortunate thing with dealing with depression, too. Yeah. Sometimes when people don't understand clinical depression, they'll have that same thing of like, well, if you really believed, you'd have joy. Right. Yeah. And, and again, a complete lack of the understanding of unfectung and the theology of the cross and the book of Job and, and, and a whole, whole host of other things. And so, uh, man, I mean, you could have somebody who just knew so much about theology 
and was humble about things they didn't know. But man, were they so sure that it was ingrained in their mind that if you committed suicide, that you're going straight to hell, even to the point where people say, well, if you get, you know, if you die breaking the speed limit, you're going to hell. I'm like, where are you getting your theology from? But it was such a thing. And so that idea then, you know, leads to you can't bury somebody in the church. They can't have a, a church funeral, all that kind of stuff. And and there are times when you shouldn't. I'm not saying right. that. Then there, the, there are clearly times when a suicide is right. a rejection of God. A and, rejection and of, of God, mercy. yeah. yeah. And uh, then there is the pendulum going the other way where we're going to celebrate. We, we don't want the person dies by hand, by their own hand. And to overcome the grief of the family and the, and the community, think of like a, like a high school football player or something yeah. like that. They're going to enshrine his, you know, retire his jury and try and whatever. And you end up glorifying which this is person, a danger. which yeah. is an, which is a danger there, uh, a danger for future suicides. And so, yeah, I think both sides, you got to curb that a little bit. And, um, I only had one suicide that I, that I did a funeral for. And, um, I don't know if I want to get too much into it, but the family was insistent. They, 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 they knew they, they, they did the middle ground. We had the funeral at the funeral home and not the, the church. They were insistent upon saying, we're not going to necessarily glorify this. And we, we understand that the, the past, but, we're still going to talk about him being in heaven because um, I think he was in heaven. I, I don't know for sure, but um, and before, I, we never do. I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable saying that, but to tone down the idea that, well, you might as well just kill yourself and go straight to heaven and you're going to be remembered fondly. Yeah. No, you got to say, you got to say, this is not right. And uh, there's a wake of sadness after that. Um, so, yeah, but. And then, and let's make that, I, I like to bring that up. So let's make the wake of sadness the second thing we go to after this next one. Um, so, Apatitis, a stoic, <laughs> um, says, we are actors in a play that we did not write. Mm-hmm. Um, even this uh, heathen, if we want to use an old school term, uh, philosopher could recognize that life is not entirely in our hands and the span of our life and the events of it, they're not entirely in our hands. And anyone who thinks it is, anyone who, who really can't uh, permit any degree of fatalism, shouldn't this pandemic kind of strip you of that? Almost everyone listening had plans that are not now coming to fruition because of something entirely outside of their control, unless you're the ones hoarding the masks and the sanitizer. <laughs> Jerks, right? Um, but uh, this is, it's not just a Christian thing to recognize that one's life is not um, one's sovereign story. Um, I may have dreamed of lots of stuff when I was in high school that was going to be my life, I, I clearly didn't have a complete say in everything that would, would come to pass. Um, the child who's born in uh, Liberia is going to have a, a different life than the child who's born in China, than who's born in um, 
Albania, where we have w- wonderful listeners, mm-hmm. uh, then is, who is born in, in Canada. <clears throat> These are the parents they're born to are greatly going to affect their life. Um, their economic status at, at birth, um, their education. These are all things that are in many ways outside of their, their control. If we can run with that, then, is something that is generally recognized, that, that we are actors in a play that we did not write. Well, every good show recognizes the actors have to have some autonomy, mm-hmm. right? We've all seen writers ruin a series where they completely take over the character. <clears throat> and we can tell this has become complete fatalism. In my view, the best shows are the ones you can kind of tell, like each season, <clears throat> they're sitting down and asking, what would they do now? What would the characters do now? And there's a, a fluidity to it. Um, no one like, we, it's even a put down for show when, we, when someone says it's too scripted, mm-hmm. right? It's too scripted. Um, the, uh, I've been, when I can't sleep at night, I don't know about your sleep schedule. I'm like, mine is terrible now. I've been falling asleep at like 4 a.m. <laughs> um, I, I know I'm one of the least disciplined people you know to be. Mm-hmm. I would say there's like three areas of life where I'm disciplined and then the rest, <clears throat> I just completely Chaos, lack yeah. it. Um, but uh, you ever watch his Conan it's, O'Brien it, with Jordan Schlansky, his, his producer? I, I, those two are comedy gold together, yes. Yeah, and so on YouTube, if you, you watch one, you get end up re-watching all of them. Uh, but the reason that's so fun is because it's unscripted, and yet they are those characters. You can tell... Conan is Conan and Jordan is Jordan. And so when they say these say things in their dialogue, it's not scripted, but it's also not inconsistent with the character. Um, I don't think I'm framing this very well, but what I want to ask you, Mike, or throw to you, um, is how in that view then, that, that isn't even a, an explicitly Christian view, although it is also a Christian view, mm-hmm. right? Um, read the Old Testament prophets and tell me that that you know God does not script things for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does suicide or euthanasia maybe fit within within that? And to go back to Genesis three with within the old temptation for creator cre- creature to want to be creator. And I don't expect you to no, have necessarily I, I, one answer. I just want to let you talk. Yeah, I think that you know from a pastoral point of view. When you're dealing with some like there's a family where there's a suicide, is uh, I would, you know, look towards um, what this there's there were outside pressures, there was things that were not going to. There's nothing this person could do to change the trajectory of this certain situation, and or so very it, little. That can apply in ways of, yeah, when Luther says someone overtaken by robbers, yeah. clinical depression or, you know, things that the person is, is struggling with. Um, I had, I, I won't go into details mm-hmm. either, but a case where the person left a letter that was pretty faultless as far as it's like confession of faith, mm-hmm. but the thinking as far as, mm-hmm. you know, um, so it can be, yeah, so keep going where you want to go with that yeah, side Yeah, and, and so we've talked about this too. Like we're not so darn independent that we think we are even when it comes to intellectual history, right? Uh, we are products of our time and we have our blind spots too. And to have a little bit of, of humility there. So, uh, there, there are, there are things that, that are outside forces and pastorally also think 
we're pretty, pretty darn weak people, right? You know? And so the first impulse should be, of course, pastorally should be compassion there. Right. Um, and I had another thought, but I'm, I'm blanking right now, but the flip side of that too is, um, and here I'll, I'll give a, a Mylander line and let you react to the flip yeah. side. Um, he says, thus suicide is a rational project, meaning something that someone's now thought out. So this is not a man overtaken by robbers on the road. Mm-hmm. Thus suicide is a rational project, expresses a desire to be only free and not also finite, a desire to be more like creator than creature. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's the thought that I was, I was missing there. I is, suspected. Is... Again, I think a lot of these, when I, when I look at a troubling doctrine or a troubling situation, I think there's two questions that come to mind that help me out. One is, when I, when it, especially when it comes to a doctrine that I don't quite get or a situation like, okay, God's the father and I'm the child. He has a different perspective and I'll put myself in that situation. So he'll say, you know, that, that very helpful when it comes to trying to deal with um, uh, predestination, that kind of thing. Um, the other question is, am I playing God here? Um, and, and so you don't have, before you get to the fifth commandment to figure out if this is murder or not. And I do, I do appreciate you saying, I never thought about that. You know, when I, when I explain what suicide is, I go, it's the same as genocide or fratricide or homicide, right? The side is the, is the murder. And then who are you murdering is the first part of it. In, in other languages it is self murder. Yeah. And that what I think would change our perspective uh, if if we had an English word self-murder instead of suicide. Um, but you don't have to get to the fifth commandment. You don't need to get past the first commandment to ask yourself, are you the one playing God or do you trust God here? Right. And so suicide is a rational and we're talking about suicide as somebody who has no longer trusted in God and trust basically in this situation themselves. Right. And so suicide, uh, someone who is suicidal often, not always, but often has not lost their faith. They've just misplaced their faith into the, they put their faith into the wrong person, namely themselves as a rational decision. Um, maybe we can take it to what you mentioned before then too. The second part, um, the wake of sadness. You talk about the wake of sadness that can be left behind. And Mylander will talk about that similarly in different terms too. But what did you mean by that? The wake of sadness. Um, there is, there is going to be people, uh, you are not an individual to the point where when you die, nobody's going to care. I don't care. I don't care if you, if you really believe that or not, it's just quite frankly, not true. There, there is a, a wake of sadness that you leave behind, right? So think of a boat going through a lake, right? There's, there's these waves that are left behind and there's a ripple effect that goes well beyond what you think. It goes all the way to the shore. I don't care how big the, the lake is. It, it affects our society. Um, you know, if you're a father, it most certainly affects your children. And they're going to, and, and deeply, not just, oh, I lost my father. Was I such a terrible child that my father had to give up? Am I not valuable enough that my parent could not stick around? Yeah. I mean, you're talking some serious damage in both that you and I. And Mylander quotes a student who says uh, of a relative who committed suicide. He didn't just take his own life. He took part of ours, too. No, absolutely. And, and, and so in one way, it is the most selfish of all acts, right? At the same side, you want to say to somebody 
who who maybe is contemplating suicide because they don't think they have any value. I don't know if I would suggest this or not, but to say to them, oh, believe me, the wake of sadness that you leave behind, you will you will know how valuable you are. The problem is, is you won't be around to see it. Yeah. And that's what's so dangerous about celebrating somebody who has committed suicide. I, th- I, I, I get the impulse of not saying you shouldn't do it, but oh boy, right? You know, it, 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 this idea that, you know, uh, the, the next person over um, who, who wants to be valued sees this is the only way that I'm going to be valued, and that is in death, and that, that's just not the, the right way, right? So a lot of this is preemptive stuff, right, talking about human value and talking about you matter so much that there's going to be a ripple effect when you're gone. There's going to be a void, um, whether you know it or not. And, and it's going to be a sad thing. And, and quite frankly, people are going to be angry at you for a while, right? I mean, one of the, one of the, the suicide survivors, and I mean the people who have survived somebody close to them having committed suicide, um, not a person who has committed it, who has survived a suicide attempt. Um, they're going to go through stages and often, and one of them is going to be, they're going to be really ticked at you. Yep. And quite frankly, rightfully so. Right. So, uh, and, and again, I like the, the wake, the idea of the, the ripple effect too, that, this goes through the whole society. This goes through people you barely knew. This goes through people that you maybe even never have met, right? So uh, you're not alone, believe me, yeah. <laughs> right? And I, I think here, too, as we transition to euthanasia as, as part of suicide, <clears throat> is to keep in mind, notice what keeps coming up throughout is the problem of suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, almost no one is going to commit suicide who isn't suffering in some way, whether that be mentally, physically, <clears throat> or spiritually. Um, and as we look at euthanasia, um, which is, uh, you know, from the Greek, oi, good, euthanasia, death. It's not children in Asia. Right. It is it's, to euthanize. <laughs> yeah, and we um, think of oi angelos, evangelical, right? Um, good news. Well, idea of good death uh, for the Greeks in a certain sense meant you were in control of it, right? Um, and so the, the two big things in play are suffering and independence. Well, for the Christian, we realize we're never truly independent, so that is addressed for the Christian. But that problem of suffering is still a problem for the Christian. David writes psalms of lament, even though David is a man of faith. Jesus weeps at Lazarus' funeral, even though Jesus is the Son of God. Um, The women at the foot of the cross are not smiling. Uh, The disciples huddle scared in a locked room in the face of death and suffering. Uh, This is a real thing, and this is where I think uh, a caution that you gave earlier, Mike, is helpful. When we are discussing these things, and sometimes it turns into a debate, we do well to think that, to realize that people may get to opposite viewpoints um, through very human considerations. They might be moved by the same suffering we're moved by. 
But from the Christian perspective, then, it will come back to with euthanasia as well. It is um, a denial of our role as creature. It's assuming role of creator. It is not truly an answer to the problem of suffering. It doesn't address the person's greatest need. And it doesn't even remove suffering from the world. Um, and so the, the, the fine line for the Christian will be what Mylander calls caring but only caring. So we will want to alleviate someone's suffering in hospice. We will not want to do that by death. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so here is uh, the hard balance for the, for the Christian or the church to strike but maybe if you just have any further thoughts on recognizing that these are very charged t- when someone's loved one is suffering to the point of considering death. This is not the easiest time to have a completely rational discussion with them no. or even a theological discussion with them. And if somebody's trying to be rational at that moment, I think both of us as pastors realized this is a red flag a little bit. Yeah. Like they're burying something here that's going to come out later. And so I, I guess just, am I fair in that, that caution of recognizing that when we're dealing with people in this time, um, that we A, not, ought, ought not paint them as Hitler. Yeah. Um, they're not necessarily being moved by, uh, they might be being moved by compassion is what I'm trying to say. Right. It might be ill-informed compassion, uh-huh. but it still is compassion. Um, and that recognizing, too, that loving them in that moment, um, that's sometimes the most difficult time to actually have the discussion or debate. <clears throat> and I I would always say to families in my congregation too, this is why the time to have discussions about end-of-life issues with your kids or with your family is before you're in the highly charged situation where the decisions have to be made. Yeah. Um, I think an act of Christian love uh, for Christians to do is to have these discussions before yeah. those times come. And for for crying out loud, get a will done. Yep. Um, yeah. I Maybe I can go in a different direction if that's okay with you. Um, yep, wherever you want to go. This is the last section I have for it, so we can yeah. hit on whatever we want to hit. The, and then... the, we talked about you got to have, like, you have to have a theology of suffering. Like, And what I mean by that is you have to, you have to say more about, oh, suffering's terrible, let's get rid of it. Right? You got to have a deeper... You got to have a philosophy. Not just cliches and platitudes. You got to have something, right? You have better have thought about this, and this is something during the modern period that we were, we were taken by this idea of progress. Sometimes even in the church that we sort of kind of ignored that, and haven't fully uh, mined the depth of the the great fathers, both of the, uh, of the church, but also specifically of the Lutheran Church. And a part of that is learning how to lament. We talked about another thing that we we should talk about, um, you know, what's a good death, right? What did it mean to be a good, for a good death, uh, in the medieval church? That was something that Luther thought about. And we're really bad at, I was talking to uh, my pastor the other day and you might know him, Mike. Um, but I said, you know what would probably be a really good Bible study when this, all this is over something on the Ars Morendi, the the art of dying, Mm -hmm. um, that used to have such a prominent place in the Mm -hmm. church. And I, I wasn't faulting him. I have never done a Bible study yeah. on this either. But people used to think more a lot, a lot more about what is a good death. And think of all the people now who's ha- who've had to die because of the coronavirus, mm-hmm. um, and they can't even have visitors, mm-hmm. and they're isolated. Um, maybe is a, a really good time for the church to think about preparing people 
for a good death. I'm sorry yeah, for interrupting. No, I, that, that's great. In fact, great minds think alike because I was thinking maybe a month ago. You know what? You know what probably needs a a, a new book out in the church is how to die well. Yeah, and a lot of. <laughs> Luther wrote a fair amount yeah. about this. Yeah. And and it was on the mind. And, and two points about that. And and when you think about all that, this is why we should sing old hymnody even if the if the tune is hard to sing because they talk about dying. Yeah. And <laughs> we don't. Um, and that's, that is because we are not so autonomous as we think we are. We are taken up by great philosophical errors. This is why I get a little... And we hide dying. Um, and this is not to say... Some of the most wonderful people I know work in hospice care. But death doesn't happen in the home near as much as yeah. it used to. The funeral doesn't happen in the home. Yep. We paint the body up. We don't say die. We, we come up with euphemisms to use. Yep. We have Memorials, celebrations of yeah. life. And re- so, yeah, this is something that we've just societally reinforced. So uh, this is why I get a little bit annoyed with all the talk about generations. Like, here's millennials, here's chin whatever and uh, I go that's as f- that, that's fine as far as it goes and it's interesting I think it's very useful when it comes to marketing maybe even education and maybe even the church in, uh, on a certain s- sense although I think you know if you're labeling a generation before they are even out of diapers maybe you want to give them a little chance first to you know live their lives before you peg them but what bothers me more about that is that there are overarching philosophies and eras that I believe are far more impactful than from generation to generation. That's in a very American thing. Baby boom, greatest generation, baby boomer, Mark. It's a very, very American thing. Um, and so, you know, in our, in our modern world, and I mean modernity there, coming out of modernity, uh, you know, this I- endless idea of progress that we bought into, we didn't think about suffering and we didn't think about death. And I think there is a book out there for, for somebody um, to, to write the, the art of dying. And for, for Luther and, the, and, and those in the medieval church before him and, and up to Luther, you know, that meant a couple things. One is, you know, I hope that I fall asleep. I, I hope I just go in my sleep. And we say that today instead of rotting away in a nursing home. They meant, I hope I'm not screaming in utter pain because we didn't have morphine back then. Right. Right. And so to pray for a good death, but theologically what they meant to was to pray for a good death was that I wouldn't have the terrors of conscience when I meet my, my, my maker. And so the art of dying is actually something now back to the original point, what the whole thing, this idea of having a theology of suffering, understanding the art of dying, uh, it becomes practical in the way you lament. If I don't know how to lament in, in, a, in a psalm kind of way, in a psalter kind of way, I haven't, I haven't prayed, this is why it's important to pray through the psalms. If I don't have the words of lament from God placed upon my lips, then I am much more apt to fall into depression and maybe even suicide. Now, this is not to say that all people who suffer depression and suicide um, like this is the magic thing. And if you had just done that, then you wouldn't have fallen to this depression. I don't mean that. Um, there are certain chemical imbalances and all the rest. What I mean, though, is that generally speaking, as a church, we have not taught people how to mourn and to lament. And when you have not learned how to mourn and lament, 
when the you-know-what hits the fan, you're not ready for it. And so I, I think there, there is a lot of room here for us to grow in our contemporary church. Coming out of the theology of the cross, we, we, that, that has been brought back in the Lutheran church. You know, it, it was largely ignored for a while, but it, it's now on our radar. But uh, the idea of lamenting, the idea of the art of dying, the idea of a, theolo- a full, robust theology of suffering, I think is the next step. And hopefully, maybe there will be a corrective on the rates of suicide. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Who knows? If there is going to be, it's going to, I think it has to come from the church. Um, I think that basically covers the, the key points we wanted to get from these chapters. Uh, students, as always, um, if you have questions, don't hesitate to email. Um, you know, take notes on these podcasts, but especially on the readings too, <clears throat> and be uploading them um, as you've been instructed by email and with videos online to show you how. Uh we appreciate all of our listeners who've been sticking with us and hopefully getting something out of these discussions as we've continued on as well. We will pick up next time uh, with chapters 7 and 8 of Mylander, Refusing Treatment and Who Decides. Uh, in the meanwhile, let the bird fly. <laughs>